The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, give yourself the gift of truth. Just click on the subscribe button on our website and get your login immediately. And if you haven't listened to Sanitas yet, I highly recommend that you do. It's your life. Take control. Well, folks, as you know, I receive books probably on a daily basis, which makes me very fortunate because my library continues to grow all the time. But recently, I received a book that somebody from Norway sent me. And let me just read you a very, very short letter. It says, Dear Mel, Atlantis Rising is a great tapestry of history and spirit. This book is my favorite. Every time I read it, I get more and deeper understanding out of it. It's like a course in consciousness. I give this transmission to you as a thank you so much for you and your very important work. Be blessed, Anik from Norway. And after that, she sent me more. And tonight's guest also sent me more. But I'm referring to the book Atlantis Rising, The Struggle of Darkness and Light. And to begin... Let me just say this. The lost continent of Atlantis has existed in the collective consciousness of humankind for eons, contemplated as early as 355 BC by Plato and echoing in the modern mind. Tonight, we discuss compelling and startling insights into this lost culture and the lessons it holds for us as both a high civilization and a metaphor for our current world situation. Earth changes, growing extraterrestrial phenomena and government conspiracy theories. Only by embracing and recognizing what Atlantis can teach us can we expect to heal and uplift our own increasingly threatened civilization. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is Patricia Corey, an author, metaphysician. Patricia Corey is a renowned teacher and spiritual guide to the sacred sites of the earth. For more than 30 years, she has studied mysticism, philosophy, ancient civilizations, metaphysical healing, and spirituality. She has been recognized as a gifted shaman, by indigenous spirit teachers of the Tibetan, Mayan, and Peruvian traditions. She established Soul Soul SoulQuest Journeys in 1996, guiding travelers through sacred sites in Nepal, Tibet, Asia, Mexico, Egypt, Europe, and Peru, and to the crop circles of England. Patricia is the author of The Syrian Revelations and host of Beyond the Matrix at bbsradio.com. 
Her new book, Where Pharaohs Dwell, explores secrets of immortality through the magic of ancient Egypt. And she also has many, many more books. Her website, patriciacorey.com. And directly from somewhere in Italy, where it's very, very late right now, I'm delighted to welcome Patricia Corey. Hello, Patricia. Welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you so much. Oh, the honor is mine. And, you know, as I said, it's it's very interesting that I got that letter. And since I cannot read a book unless I have to match it with an interview, when I saw what she had to say, I said, well, what if I contact Patricia and we just conduct an interview and dive into it? So we did. It's amazing. I, I love the fact that that happened that way. And I want to say that when she said, every time I read it, I get more out of it. I th- This is a recurring theme with this book. I get letters all the time from from readers who say they've read it. They're on their seventh reading of the book. <laughs> I, I find that quite amazing. Very, but very I, interesting. I, yeah. I, I just, especially out of all my books, especially that one. And I've come to believe that there are many different layers of information in the book. It might just be a multidimensional book. Now, let me ask you this, because some of our listeners may not know who you are. Tell us your story first. How did it How did it all begin for you? With regard to the writing or my spiritual journey? Spiritual journey. Okay. Um, I was blessed with a mother who was very generous and allowing. When, and so when I was very young, uh, I started to have contact with the other side of the veil, we'll say. And I used to talk about these little blue beings that used to come and speak to me. And most parents would dismiss that with children, but my mother paid attention. And one day I walked into the kitchen and told her that I was from another universe. I was four. And bearing in mind that that was in the 50s, that was that was a common conversation at the time. I mean, a four-year-old saying that now, so many places they could pick that up, but oh, yeah. that back then... It wasn't. So she said, where are you from? And I said, you're not ready to know that yet, but I'll get back to you when, in another moment when we're both ready to talk about it. <laughs> I walked out of the kitchen. And so I have to say that I, I really had contact as a child, but not in the classic UFO contactee, abductee sense. I had contact with consciousness from another dimension and I believe that they presented themselves to me as little creatures or little beings because that's what a child could relate to and then all through my life I've had incredible guidance with um, beings from other dimensions but it really exploded in 1996 when I went into my first crop circle which was the famous the incredible Julia set crop circle at Stonehenge now, in that instance, I was in England attending a uh, color therapy work. Uh, actually, it was a college. And I dreamt that I was flying over Stonehenge. I saw this gigantic spiral next to it in a field. And in the dream, I heard a voice say, pay attention. This is a lock-on point for interdimensional consciousness. I woke up. I scribbled out what this looked like. But I still, at that time, didn't really understand what crop circles were. I wasn't really involved in that at all. And uh, lo and behold, I went to a um, bookstore in Glastonbury the weekend that we had free, and there's the exact same image on the wall. I said to the woman, what is this? What is this? And that led to her saying, 
it's the latest crop circle. Obviously, you're called to it. And I got into it. And when that happened, I lost consciousness for two and a half hours. The famous lost time syndrome. Mm -hmm. After which I uh, began bringing through these messages from the Syrian High Council. And I want to say that it's very important for me to um, highlight the fact that I didn't want to use my psychic skills in that way. I wasn't crazy about being an automatic writer or a medium. That's not the way I was working because I was largely working as a healer. But it kept coming. It kept coming book after book after book. And so that's how it all really catapulted into the stratosphere of my life. Now, we're going to be discussing crop circles throughout the interview as well, because it seems almost, you know, I've had this conversation with Colin Andrews, and, you know, it's always the the wondering, why is this happening? Why is it no more overt? And is it because somebody's holding this knowledge and it's given us riddles? Is this, Is that what's happening? Well, that's a very interesting observation to see if it can maybe the consciousness that's bringing them in can tweak the human collective. Right. Well, certainly a possibility. I, I believe that it is a precursor to uh, total connection, total um, arrival, if you will, and that we were given these symbols to start using, to start thinking in multidimensional terminology. And uh, always, what is the best way to communicate intelligence? Let's say that language is going to be a barrier. It, it certainly is on our planet. One would assume it's going to be a barrier with alien beings. But the one, the one common thread of all conscious beings is the understanding of ratio, vibration, all of the things that are present in sacred geometry, right? Exactly. So if you, if you want to communicate intelligence to another species – the, the the one way you can be sure is geometry, number, ratio. And that is what we find in the crop circles. Now, there are some some silly ones that we can really dismiss as being man-made. Yeah, like, Doug and Dave. Yeah, <laughs> Doug and Dave. When you look at the situation that, you know, my first experience was probably the most important crop circle in history, and that was the Julius set, 151 circles coming down we, we know for sure that they came down in the time expanse of maybe one hour during the day at the at, across from Stonehenge, the most frequented sacred site in England in the most busy time. It was it was July, the most busy tourist season. This thing comes down the middle of the day, 151 circles in perfect Fibonacci sequence, which for anyone who doesn't understand, it has to do with the ratio of growth on the in many different uh, earth biological forms, and it, it also is a reflection of the golden mean. So I don't want to try to get into the details of all of that, but I'm sure most of the people that listen to you understand what that means. Um, and please it's, do it's if, a you, very if you science please, mathematical structure. Please do if you want to, because this is probably one of the most most fascinating things to me when I discovered the Fibonacci sequence, the golden mean, and I saw my hand. And I saw a, a, a seashell. I see a tree. I see exactly. it everywhere in the universe. Yeah, and it really it it really lends one to think. I guess there is a divine creator here, because everything, so many things, have this growth cycle embedded in them: flowers, leaves, uh, many animals, the human hand, 
And that is one, if you take, let's say, if you're, how to say this, if your first digit in your finger is one inch, the combination of the next the digit, including that, will be 1.618 of the first. This is the growth frequency. Then the next, the three digits, oh, will be 1.61, sorry, 1.618 of that. And that, am I being clear? Because I'm not, it's hard to explain sacred geometry. Well, I think the easiest way to say it, it would be, you know, the, the Fibonacci sequence, one plus one is two, then two plus one is three, then five, then eight, and it goes on and on. Yes. And that is described as 1.618 in platonic terms. Right. So uh, when you look at a field and all of these pr- incredible circles, I mean, 151 circles, and they're in Fibonacci sequence, and they came down in an hour. And we know that they came down in an hour because we have reports from a crop uh, – sorry, it wasn't a crop plane. It was a, tour, uh, uh, a tourist plane, and he flew over the field, which he did every day, <clears throat> going over Stonehenge. He had a, he had a client in the – uh, plane taking pictures. There was nothing in the field. They flew over Stonehenge. She was taking pictures of, of Stonehenge. And then something like an hour and a half later, he was coming back and he saw this gigantic, breathtaking spiral in the field. And he, he, was said, he said he almost crashed the plane. He was shocked to see. There was no question that this this can't be explained as a bunch of guys going to the field with planks and trying to imitate this extraordinary form, this extraordinary mathematical form. So uh, that is really an exceptional moment in one's life, you can imagine. And in that crop circle, I saw plasma balls. I saw men in black, which was not pleasant, actually. There was so much going on, and there were people from all over the world. There were there were Tibetan lamas in there. There were Native American uh, peace, uh, sorry, medicine men, uh, Japanese Shinto priests. Something big was happening that at that moment, and I think it was a moment when the crop circle phenomenon took a whole new turn of intensity and complexity. Who is creating the crop circles and what do you think the real, we just speculated at the beginning of the interview, but who is creating them and for what reason? I understand the crop circles to be a, communi- a te- let's say, communication that is multidimensional in nature and that the sender would most likely be either uh, some sort of alien life form that is a three-dimensional being or a higher form of consciousness that knows how to create vibrational, um, has to direct, let's say, vibration as a representation of mind, of consciousness, and it works with the earth energies and most likely with human consciousness. Now, it's interesting that they come down in Wilshire predominantly there. I mean, we know that there are the occasional ones in other countries, but I'm never impressed with them. But the ones in Wilshire are... Uh, That's where, let's say, 85% of them come down. And what's interesting is that there is a very, there's a water shelf under the earth there, very high. And so when I asked my sources, 
uh, what, how this was happening. I was told that the, the water was drawing the <laughs> – it's an interesting concept – that this message or this communication was being sent into the earth, this design, and then the water under the earth's shelf in that region of the world was pulling it in magnetically. And now that's a very exciting idea. So in other words, the electric male, if you will, if if you're going to use that kind of term, the electric concept of pushing this message down onto the field and Earth's own emotional body, which of course is the water, uh, pulling it in. And that this dynamic is part of how this occurs. Why do you think that the preponderance of crop circles is happening in wheelchair? There are so many sacred ley lines. First of all, the ley lines in wheelchair are unbelievable. Um, there are many ancient relics, many, many ancient, uh, let's say, mounds. There, it's just a very sacred place. And it has what uh, I've referred to as triangulation. This is where predominantly they land between you've got Ava Berry Circle, you've got Stonehenge, and you've got uh, the Tor in Glastonbury. That forms a triangle. And most of them come down in that, within that region. So, of course, what do we know about these sacred sites? Well, for starters, the Tor, which is at the top of a mound, uh, was built, I don't know how many centuries ago, but it, as we all know, uh, often sacred buildings or churches or, or temples are built on already sacred ground. And the, the tours, the, the, the mound that the tour is sitting on has been described as an entrance into Agartha, the inner earth. It has been described as a uh, alien civilization. There's something very mystical going on in that place, which, of course, draws people uh, throughout time. And it, of course, is the ancient Avalon of Arthur days and Merlin. How did you make a connection with Atlantis after this crop circle sighting? Well, I have had memory of Atlantis since I was young. I've seen myself over, over, over again in dreams as a young boy who is looking at, in fact, if you look at the cover of Atlantis Rising, do you have it in front of you? Of course, there's a, a grown person and a smaller person on the right. Yes. Yes. And that smaller person, I describe in the opening, the first page of the book, that I'm looking at this spiral. It's a spiral of orichalcum, which was a known ore in um, Atlantis. And upon it sits a, go a great sphere of crystal. And within the crystal, there's a little gold filament. And I'm being instructed by the person who's holding my hand that this is how energy is produced. The mind sends in thought to the spiral. The, the, the thought travels up into the sphere and uh, by, by a process very similar to electric lighting and the filament there, this thought is transmuted, transformed into energy. And I was instructed that this is how Atlantis uh, used energy and created the power source for the entire continent. No. <laughs> so... I was involved with that uh, at a very young age, and I've been in pursuit of understanding that all my life, because I have no doubt in my mind that Atlantis 
was not a fantasy. It was not Plato's utopia. It was a very real civilization. And um, I think also that it was, instead of being an island, I believe that Atlantis was a continent that stretched from as far... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.